Gracious God, eternal and abundant, restful, and the one who blesses, we just invite your presence in the name of Jesus this morning in a very real and personal way, in behalf of everyone who's in this room to worship you this morning. Bless us all, Father, with alert minds and attentive spirits and open hearts, so the truths that you know that you want to speak to us might be received in a very, very real way. So, Father, we just, in the name of Jesus again, invite your presence, your power, your blessing here among us, and may it be for thy glory and thine alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I stand before you this morning with no excuse. I stand before you this morning knowing full well that I've already told you and I thought about this morning in my devotions and Brother Andy, as we met together for a brief word of prayer, reminded again that we come to the brink of the waters and we place our toe in the water and let the Lord part the waters. And so we've come to worship this morning and we just want the truth of God's Word to just shower upon us, run down over us, sink deep into our hearts and spirits, and allow His blessing to rest upon us in a very real and mighty way. I'm going to turn to the book of Judges and just speak a little bit from the book of Judges. We'll draw our text, the title of our message, from the book of Judges. The time of the Judges was a dark, dark time in the history of God's people. I've spoken at various times throughout these messages this week about things like the parting of the Red Sea after the departure of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. A little bit about their journey through the wilderness and their entrance into the land of Canaan, the land of promise. Many, many glorious truths that we can gain from Scriptures as they explain to us this journey of the people of God, the seed of Abraham, the father of the faithful. Moses had led them in a very real and personal way. He died and God buried him there on the mountains of Moriah before they entered into the land of promise. Joshua then took over as the leader of God's people and he had led them in a very commendable way. And much, much progress had been accomplished in the land of Canaan as the children of Israel, now a nation, began to take over and conquer that land. But Joshua dies. And the Bible tells us in the last chapter of Joshua, verse 31, like this. Joshua 24, 31. We'll begin our journey here. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. That statement is basically repeated in chapter 2 of Judges, verse 7. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And so... 
we understand from this, this instruction that while Joshua was alive, this man of God who had been so faithful, who had been one of the two faithful witnesses, as they searched out the land of Canaan, the twelve, and brought word back about the circumstances they encountered there. Joshua and Caleb were the two. This man who had led the people of God, the man who had, who had set them on the conquering path in the promised land, this man died and something changed as a result of the death of Joshua. Though he had been faithful in his service to Jehovah, and though he had rallied the troops, so to speak, and the people had been faithful in their service to the Jehovah God we've been speaking about this week, those individuals, after the death of Joshua, failed to complete the call of Jehovah in their lives. Notice with me certain expressions beginning in chapter 1 of Judges in verse 27. Just two words at the beginning of that verse, neither did. And then notice in verse 29, a similar expression. Verse 30, a similar expression. Again in verse 31. And finally in verse 33. Each of those verses began with this neither did expression. There was some progress that was still being made after Joshua's death, but the progress was a very limited kind of progress. They weren't going about to conquer and to overcome the peoples of the land of Canaan, those seven nations there in the land of Canaan. They were failing to complete the call of Joshua, the call of Jehovah, as they had done in the days of Joshua. Now notice that as a result of their failure, there was a pronouncement that's made. I'm looking at verse 10 of chapter 2. <clears throat> in the middle of the verse, it says, there arose another generation after them, that's Joshua, and the elders that overlived or outlived him. There arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And we began reading then in verse 1 of this same chapter, chapter 2. We're in Joshua, I'm sorry, Judges, chapter 2, verse 1. An angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars. But ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you. But they shall be as thorns in your sides. And their God shall be a snare unto you. And it, shall, and it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum, or weepers. And they sacrificed there unto the Lord. Now the statement's made in verse 3, that there would be thorns and snares come upon them as a result of their unfaithfulness in heeding the call of God and following His leading and His direction into the land of promise in all of His promised conquering powers. They failed to do that. And so they had the, the snares of idolatry. Verse 10 of this second chapter of Judges speaks about the fact that, that since they arose after another generation after them and knew not the work of the Lord, 
Then in verse 11 says, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. That's an idol, the snare of idolatry. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. Now this gives us a picture of the conduct of those people. They had the snare of idolatry. More than that, they encountered the thorns of enemy nations. There were four of them specifically mentioned in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And you'll find these four mentioned. They are the Philistines, they are the Canaanites, the Zidonians, and the Hivites from Lebanon. These four nations that were supposed to have been conquered in the land of promise were, had become thorns to the people of God, the children of Israel. Thorns in their sides, the thorns of enemy nations. Not only did these people encounter the Philistines, the Zidonians, the Canaanites, and the Hivites from Lebanon, but you'll also notice, as you could continue your journey on into the book of Joshua, in Judges, I'm sorry, we're in Judges, you continue your journey on into the book of Judges, you'll find mention made of, of Mesopotamia coming to conquer the people of God, verse 8 of chapter 3. Moab in verse 12 of chapter 3. And on into chapter 6, you'll notice that Midian and the Amalekites also came against them. So these are some of the thorns of the enemy nations that came against the people of God because they had failed to complete or heed the call of God. This was a dark, dark time. Dark time. Perhaps as black a time, a dark a time as, as existed in the history of Israel. The Bible says later on in this same book, in the 17th chapter and also the 21st chapter, that it was a time when every man did what was right in his own eyes. Can't we draw some parallel between the time that we're looking at here in the book of Judges and our own time? A time when every man does that or appears to do that, which is right in his own eyes. This characterized, this description characterized the conduct of the people of God. Now God, of course, responds to this. I'm going back now to chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, verse 14 says, The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Verse 20 of chapter 2 says, again, The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Verse 8 of chapter 3 the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them. Verse 12, chapter 3, The Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel. Chapter 4, verse 2, The Lord sold the people of Israel, them, into the hand of the king of Canaan. Chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian. This is how God responded when His people were unfaithful. His anger was stirred. His wrath was kindled. 
And he responds to them, and he sells them, he gives them over, he delivers them into the hands of alien and enemy nations. There's more. What is it like to live under the anger of Jehovah? Chapter 2, verse 15. They were greatly distressed. Chapter 6, verse 6. Israel was greatly impoverished. Now, this has just been a little bit of a journey to, to help us understand and to come to grips with the darkness that reigned in Israel at that time. And how Jehovah, the Jehovah we've been looking at this week, how Jehovah responded to the waywardness and the rebellion of these people. And these folks encountered Him in His anger. They were distressed. They were dismayed. They were impoverished. Many times they experienced bondage and slavery as a result of their disobedience and their waywardness. And so that's all given as a bit of a background. We now begin to read in chapter 6, verse 1. This introduction is a bit lengthy this morning, but it seems necessary to help us all understand exactly what we encounter here in this sixth chapter of Judges. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was, when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites. We encounter these folks again, the Amalekites. And the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass... When the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord, and sat under an oak which was an Ophra, that pertained unto Joash, the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, Jehovah, why then is all this befallen us? 
And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us, and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. The flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there arose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now notice carefully. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God! For because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet an offering of the Abi Ezraites. The account goes on. You're all familiar how Gideon used the fleece to try to discern the will of God. How Gideon rallied many, many individuals there. And how God told him it was too many for the army. And so there was a testing that occurred there at the waterside. And eventually just a very small band went with Gideon. Gideon took the pitchers in his hand and he took the, the uh, trumpets and the light was there in the pitchers. And it was in that manner that God wrought the marvelous victory over these detestable people, the alien enemy nations. But especially, I want to just focus on that 24th verse and the statement is made there that is made there about the altar that was built and how it was referred to as Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. That means the Lord our peace. <coughs> Gideon amazingly encountered Jehovah Shalom. This is a message that is drastically needed in our day and time. The Lord, our peace. We like to think about the awesomeness of God. We like to think about the awesomeness of Jehovah God. We spent some time this week seeing Him displayed most gloriously in Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Sebaoth, Jehovah Jireh, and Jehovah Nisi. 
We've seen Him displayed gloriously in that manner as the Healer, the Lord of hosts, as, the, as our Provider, as our Banner. But we see Him here as Jehovah Shalom displayed in dynamic experience. This is not just something that we can stand back and view in a rather detached manner. To experience Him as Jehovah Shalom means that He comes in and that He surrounds and that He blesses us in dynamic experience. And so I want us to, to understand that, that this is kind of the cap sheaf of the messages on Jehovah because we encounter Him Wanting to come in and enter in. We, want him, we encounter Him wanting to surround us and to just bless us and to permeate us with His peaceful Spirit and His peaceful presence. Now I want to turn and spend the rest of our time in the New Testament Scriptures today. 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. What I have in mind is to speak a little while. Read some, passage, some verses here in the 14th chapter of John. Speak a little while about some particular features that I believe we find encountered here in the Lord our peace. And then give opportunity for you to just... Perhaps you want to share some testimony. Or perhaps you want to address some questions. You'll have the opportunity. I'll try to watch the clock carefully and guard the time so that that opportunity exists for you if you want it. And if you don't want that, that's fine. But, but that opportunity will be available. So we're going to begin reading now in the 14th chapter of John, verse 1. This is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Listen, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father 
may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Verse 9, in the middle of that verse, says like this, He that has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, he that has seen the Lord Jesus, he that does see the Lord Jesus, has seen Jehovah Shalom, the Father, Jehovah God. And so it's no stretch of Scripture to tell us this morning that Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of this Jehovah Shalom, the altar that we first encounter in Judges chapter 6, and that we eventually find portrayed for us in the ministry, in the teaching, in the vibrant living and sacrificial death and glorious resurrection of the blessed Lord Jesus. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Jehovah Shalom. As I looked at these verses, there's about four statements that I'd like to make and just hold before us in brief manner this morning. First of all, Jehovah Shalom releases our distresses. Let not your heart be troubled. Secondly, Jehovah Shalom assures our destiny. I go and prepare a place for you. Thirdly, Jehovah Shalom establishes our doctrine. I am the truth. And fourthly, Jehovah Shalom certifies our devotion. In the last three verses of these 14 verses of the 14th chapter of John. And so we're going to just look at him a little while in this manner. How he releases our distress, assures our destiny, establishes our doctrine, and certifies our devotion. First of all, Jehovah Shalom releases our distresses. Chapter 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. I like the way that this verse begins. In other words, I believe Jesus is telling us, Let it be so. Let it be so, my dear ones, this morning. Not only in this setting, and perhaps not even primarily in this setting, but let it be so that as we launch out from this place and we continue the journey of life, that it is so in our lives that our hearts are not going to be troubled, that we're not going to experience distresses. We're going to release those kinds of things to this wonderful Jehovah, God, that we worship to this glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who wanted to come and said that He came to bear our burdens. The Bible speaks about that. He bore our our burdens, our sins, in His own body on the tree. Let it be so today as we worship, even with weary bodies. Let it be so that our minds are alert and our spirits are vibrant and that God is gloriously magnified in our coming together. Let it be so that our words would be seasoned with salt, 
We would be blessing each other. Let it be so that our hearts would be opening to, opened up to each other. Our arms would reach out and we would link arms and, and commit to each other that we're going to walk in, with Jehovah Shalom in peaceful fashion. Let it be so that that's our experience in life. Let it be so that we are going to be light in the world and salt in the earth for the glory of God. Let it be so. Let it be so that we are willing to release our distresses. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. This really is a matter of faith. That verse says so. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. If we really believe that Jesus Christ came to earth to die for us, to bear our sins in His own body on the tree, if we really believe that He invites us to come close to Him and experience that glorious fellowship that His children ought to have. That glorious fellowship that is portrayed for us, to us, as communion. I'm speaking not of a particular moment in time when we come together and, and do certain things at the hour of communion, but I speak of that moment-by-moment -moment communion experience that I know that He wants every one of us to have. Communion means to be united with Him. It means to be linked with Him. It means to embrace Him in dynamic faith. It means to have our distresses released so we might experience this Jehovah Shalom as He desires for us to encounter Him. The Bible says there are certain things that are hindrances to this releasing of distress. It may have been quoted or referred to already. This week, I'm not sure, the, the Scripture has been marvelously washed over us and impressed upon our hearts. And things begin to blur and just come together. And, and we've been wondrously blessed as God has visited us here in this place. But the Bible says that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so, just let it be emphasized one more time that there are certain things that will hinder this release of distresses. And the primary one is that sin has not yet been exposed. And so it's still good to emphasize that. If we're not willing to expose sin, if we're not willing to release anything that hinders us and fetters us from having this sweet moment-by-moment -moment communion experience, if we're not willing to do that, we're really still going to be troubled. We're still going to be holding on to those distresses. I know where I speak. And I think most of you do as well. So just be willing to experience the fact, the reality, the glorious reality of Jehovah Shalom releasing our distresses. Sin really is an impassable barrier for God. If, we, if we're not willing to just, to just get rid of that thing, it prevents God from working with us the way He would like to. It is an impassable barrier to the full working, in-working, and out-working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The conscience is a precious treasure. A very precious treasure. And so let's be sure before we leave this place... And I'm thinking especially as we come together this afternoon in our prayer groups, let's be sure 
that we're dealing with our conscience the way the Holy Spirit of God has emphasized to us over and over and over again this week that we ought to deal. Releasing our distresses. It must be so that we encounter Jehovah releasing Jehovah Shalom in the release of our distresses. Jehovah Shalom also assures our destiny. Jesus said, I, if I go, He really means since I go. That's the way we should understand this. It's a, it's a certainty. He was going. Since I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And so He did go. We know that He went. We know that He died after having suffered unlike any man has ever suffered. And He rose again on the glorious resurrection morning when the women came and the angel pronounced that the Lord is not here but is risen. And we serve a glorious risen Lord. We know that. And that hope is vibrant. And it fills us with vitality because we serve a glorious risen Lord in this day and time. Right now. And so he says that, that there's a destiny that awaits the people of God. He has gone back. He ascended back to heaven. And the Bible tells us that he's seated there at the right hand of God. He's seated there. I like to think about Jesus as he's seated there, just, just resting there at the presence of, of the Father and he just, he just pleads with Him. He intercedes with Him in our behalf. The prayers of the saints ascend. And Jehovah is, is interceded with by our blessed Master, the Lord Jesus, there at the throne of God. And so He's engaging in that intercessory work there with Jehovah God. But I notice sometimes, at least on one occasion I can think of just, just right away, that though He was seated there at the throne... I believe he was looking down across the portals of heaven and he saw and he sees what's going on. He knows what you're dealing with today. He knows what I'm dealing with. And so he's looking. I just picture him looking down, gazing down into the life of every one of us. Just looking down and discerning, understanding completely, even better than we do, what is transpiring in our lives. And I recall a time when a faithful child of God was suffering martyrdom. The stones were beating about him and the life was being extinguished from his body. And, and, and that man said, as he looked up into heaven, he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I picture the Savior as he saw Stephen being stoned. And he looked down there and, and he's seated there and, and he sees what's transpiring and I, I just see him standing up because he's so intensely interested in what's going on in the life of Stephen. I want to believe this morning that there may well have been times when our blessed Master looked down into your lives and, I, and he stood up. He was just so interested in what was going on in your life, your trials, your distresses, your troubles, that he stood up and looked down to make sure that everything was going to be okay. And he knows it is. But that's just the kind of interest that he has. Well, he's ascended back to heaven. 
And He has assured us that our destiny is sealed in heaven, in heaven with Him. Now, we understand, as, as that statement is made, that, that there are certain responsibilities that you and I have that actually work as qualifications to that statement. But, but I'm speaking about living a life of victory in Christ. I'm speaking about walking in the light and living in the glorious reality of triumphing in our blessed Jesus. That Jehovah Shalom then assures our destiny. There is a place for me in heaven. There's a place for you in heaven. I don't have the numbers with me, but one time I, I decided, well, I'll just, I'll just think about this new Jerusalem. Now, I'm not saying the new Jerusalem is, is uh, heaven, the, the final destiny that, that we're going to encounter. But, but this new Jerusalem, the Bible describes it as 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles long and 1,500 miles high. And if you would just take the number of people who inhabit the earth today and assume that a generation of individuals was 30 years of age, just make that assumption, and, and just suppose that, that throughout the 6,017 years of human history, that the same number of people, 7 billion people, lived all of those years. And just do a little bit of work there with that math. You'll find that, that the dimensions of the New Jerusalem are so immense that every individual, assuming every individual, would inhabit that celestial city, that, that there's abundant room for every one of us. We cannot understand the glorious scope of the destiny that awaits us. Glorious! Indeed it is! Amen! Jesus said, as He walked upon the earth, He said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. When He said all, He meant all. He meant everyone. He meant those wretched wrecks in Seattle that we encountered. Indeed He did. He means the wretched wrecks of humanity that we encounter wherever we live. In our own neighborhoods. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. If you're distressed, if you're troubled, the invitation still goes out because there's a destiny. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's more to that passage, but that's the point I want to emphasize. I will give you rest. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. And ye shall find rest for your souls. Jehovah Shalom. Assuring our destiny. I remember the first time that I really encountered Jehovah Shalom. And I remember what a startling experience it was. As I saw, as I walked into very, very peaceful, serene surroundings. Never had understood that. Never encountered that. Sixteen and a half years old. And it was an impression that has never left me and I suppose will never leave me. I remember how I saw it. Jehovah Shalom, how I saw Him in the lives of a couple of individuals. Husband and wife. The parents of some young men that I had become acquainted with. I went into their home and I saw how those two individuals related to each other. I saw how they related to their family. 
I saw how they related to other individuals. And they spoke, unlike I do, in soft tones to each other. I encountered Jehovah Shalom in that home. Very simple home. But oh, the glorious presence of Jehovah Shalom that just permeated every nook and cranny of that home. I remember encountering Jehovah Shalom in a personal way at my conversion. And I remember after baptism getting in the vehicle and driving down the road and everything had been changed. The countryside took on new beauty. The peace in my heart was a glorious reality. Jehovah Shalom, the one who came to give us peace and the one who does give peace, the one whom we're exhorting you in this morning, that you want to embrace Him in all of His peace and all of His rest. He assures our destiny. More than that, He establishes our doctrine. Jesus said unto, P unto Thomas, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. And then Philip wants to get into this doctrinal discussion. And he speaks about, uh, show us the Father. And if you'll show us the Father, then we'll be sufficed. And Jesus tells him, Philip, remember, remember, I've been with you for a long time now. And, and you have known me. And because you've known me, you've known the Father. You've known Jehovah. And so this discussion is engaged there between Jesus and Philip. And as we look at that, we understand that Je Jehovah Shalom establishes our doctrine. It is enlightening truth that He comes to impart. I appreciated the illustration of the flashlight, the two flashlights this morning, the smaller one, and then that, and then that beam that could not be shut out of our eyes, even with our eyelids closed. That, that real uh, sharp impression that was left there upon our eyes as that beam was shown across the room. That's the kind of manner in which Jesus desires to establish us in His doctrine, in the truth of doctrine. Doctrinal truth is something that we always ought to strive for. It's not where our, our sole focus ought to be, but we ought to try with our utmost diligence to be sure that doctrine is correct. We'll not be saved by doctrine. But it's a wonderful foundation to establish our relationship and to assure our salvation. And so, this Jehovah Shalom establishes our doctrine with His enlightening truth. Remember how the Bible says, I believe in the 8th chapter of John, in perhaps verses 30 and 31 or 31 and 32, something like that, that as He speaks to His disciples about continuing in His Word, in His doctrine, If ye continue in My Word, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And in knowing this truth, we're going to be free indeed. Indeed we are. If we continue in His Word, in His doctrine, we're going to experience glorious freedom. And it's going to be peace and rest for our souls. We want that kind of freedom from knowing truth. 
And, and, and re- that reality is, is the only way that we're going to encounter freedom and rest. We've got to know Him that way. We've got to embrace Him that way. We've got to recognize Him as the truth. If ye continue in My Word, then are ye My disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He establishes our doctrine. He gives us inspiration and wisdom. And, and, you know, we cannot separate this glorious God that we serve into component parts. Sometimes we think about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and, and you know, if we're not careful, we get to, we get to being too directive in all of this, in how, the, how God works, the Blessed Trinity, and, and, how he, and how He works with us, and how He teaches us. And, and yes, I know this morning that it's the Holy Spirit that comes and gives us wisdom as He dwells in our hearts and, and works there and lives there. But, but let's understand that, that it's all of God. It's all of God that's working with us. There's no, there's no division here. There's no separation here. And so we must understand that, that freedom, true freedom, true liberty, comes from knowing Jehovah Shalom. He establishes our doctrine. The fourth point of the outline this morning is that Jehovah Shalom certifies our devotion. I want you to just notice in verses 12 through 14, the shalls and the dues. I highlighted them this morning in my Bible. <clears throat> the shalls and the dues. Let's read those verses and, and let's just think about the shalls and the does. Could we, shalls and the dues. Could we perhaps read those together? Let's read them out loud together. Let's read beginning in verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. You notice the connection between the shells and the dues. And the relationship that's established there between the shells and the dues. Let's not neglect this truth that dues are important. And shells are important. And, and the shells and the dues are, are contingent upon each other to a certain extent. The promises of God are glorious promises. But God expects something from us. Indeed, He does. And we expect something from Him. Indeed, we do. And so the shells and the dues. I was just blessed as I thought about the shell and do relationship and the, and, and, the, uh, and the way these two impact each other in living reality in our lives. Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, but that a man will lay down his life for his friends. And ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. You want to talk about devotion. You want to talk about the certification of devotion. How devotion is authenticated. That speaks about how devotion is certified on the part of Jesus to us. That speaks about how Jehovah Shalom certifies devotion to us. But also He expects the same sort of thing from us. To Him. 
He wants us to walk in unfettered, uncompromised devotion. He wants us to love Him. And I know that those words are speaking more especially about the Father. But I know that, that the Father wants us to love His Son in just this manner, with all the heart, with all the strength, with all the soul, and with all the mind. That means uncompromised devotion. That means without restraint, we are devoted to Him. We are certifying. We're standing here in this place today, and we're saying, I am devoted to my Master, and I will follow my Master, and I'll not waver in the service of the Master, and I will inhabit the glories of heaven with my Master, and I will sing praises to Him, my Master there in heaven, and I will adore Him, my Master Jesus, there around the throne of the glorious majesty of the Heavenly Father. We are certifying our devotion to Him. Let it be so with every heart. And let it be so with those individuals that you encounter in life as you have impact upon them with the glorious light of, of God shining through us and reaching out and touching the lives of other individuals. Jehovah Shalom certifies our doctrine. I want to conclude. <clears throat> I want to think back now to the time of the judges. I want to think back to what was happening there. I want you to think about what's happening in America today. I want you to, to use perhaps the lens that was given to you yesterday, afternoon and evening. I want you to think about your home communities. I want you to think about your churches, our churches. Those individuals, I'm speaking now about the Israelites. Those individuals had been told what to do, but they weren't doing it. And essentially, they had no mission. And because they had no mission, they had no unity. No mission, no unity. They'd lost their vision. They had no vision. And because they had no vision, they had no sanctification. No vision, no sanctification. No mission, no unity. They had encountered this apparently unending cycle, repetitive cycle at least, where it was disobedience, then chastisement, then repentance, then lukewarmness, then disobedience, and the cycle just continues. That's what was going on in the life of the nation of Israel at that time. It has very direct parallels in the day and time in which we live. In the churches, in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. Disobedience, chastisement, repentance, lukewarmness, and the cycle repeats over and over again. Those Israelites had gone from prosperity to adversity. They had gone from sinning to repenting. They had gone from slavery to deliverance. 
And yet every time it seems, they just went right back in to the same condition that they'd been brought out of. God worked there. And He, and he sent certain, certain individuals to intervene and to break these cycles. You'll recall there in the sixth chapter of Judges that He sent, first of all, a prophet. He sent a prophet to speak the truth, to speak the Word of God. Not only did He send a prophet, but He sent an angel. Now, we'll not be angels, and we'll likely not be prophets, but God wasn't finished because God sent a man. And the Bible says He was a mighty man of valor. And He began to do like men tend to do. He began to make excuse. Moses did that. Gideon did that. Other individuals have done that. He began to make excuse. But God was patient with him because He knew him to be a mighty man of valor. This truth of being a mighty man of valor is not only is not only to be understood by those on this side of the room, but it should also be understood by those on this side of the room. This is not necessarily a gender-specific reference that I want to hold before us. I want us to be mighty people of God, people of valor, people of virtue. We, we tend to think usually that it's men that have valor and it's women that have virtue. And there are certain truths to that kind of an application. But I like to think that we're all in this together, that we all have valor and virtue. And so when we think about and we speak about being a man of valor, we're speaking about all of us together being valiant for the Lord Jesus, being victorious and triumphant in our walk with Him, this Jehovah Shalom. These are all tools that were used by God in glorious fashion. I'd like to, to conclude this message with a word of prayer. And then I just want to open up the microphone and, and perhaps Brother Pete will come up and, and just uh, moderate for a few moments, a few minutes here before we conclude this session. Let's pray together. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, in the midst of all the boisterous words this morning and the beseeching, imploring tones, I pray that somehow the message of peace might have spoken to our hearts. Father, we do experience the blessed reality of peace in the Lord Jesus. And we have also, some of us at least, experienced troubled consciences from time to time and we don't want that experience. We want to be free and clear and, and resting in a uh, glorious manner with you today. And so I just pray that each of us would just with fervency of spirit and purpose of heart resolve that we are going to cleave to Jesus' shalom. We're going to cleave to the one who's promised rest and peace in him. Father, bless these young people. Bless all of these individuals here in this room. The staff that has provided so wonderfully for us. Prepared for us to be here. Oh, the blessing that it's been. And especially, Father, we thank you 
for having been here displayed in glorious fashion and speaking to our hearts in, in reality this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.